back to Youth Group Radio. Today we are continuing our study, going through the Gospel of John. This is John part 31, and we are in John chapter 11. It's a very familiar story, but one that I pray we can hear with fresh ears. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus, telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, Only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, There are twelve hours of daylight every day. During the day people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, Your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when... Everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him 
and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the sister of the dead man, protested. Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, Unwrap him and let him go. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us today. Amen. Have you ever felt like God is ignoring your prayers? Typically, we just think to ourselves, well, it's probably my fault. I probably didn't pray it right. My motives were probably not pure. Or maybe this just isn't God's will, and so he heard me, but he's communicating something else. And those are fine responses. But then you look at this story, and it's as if we get to see our prayers played out. Think about this. The sisters, Mary and Martha, they send a prayer to Jesus. Our brother Lazarus is very sick, and we need you to help. They're sending their prayer to their Lord. How do they word their prayer? They say in verse 3, Lord, he whom you love is ill. This is a very common prayer for me to say. If someone is in need, whether it's sickness or a tough situation, I often find myself reminding the Lord, hey, you love this person. He whom, whom you love or she whom you love is ill and they need your help. It's not that Jesus forgot that he loves Lazarus or that he forgets that he loves the people in my life, but it's almost a comfort to me or for Mary and Martha to say, hey, you love them. We're confident that the Lord loves the people in our lives. And so they send the prayer to Jesus. And what is his answer? Verse 4, he says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus tells the sisters, there's going to be glory in this, but then what does he do? It says in verse 6, he heard that Lazarus was ill, and he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. How comforting of a picture is that? You send your prayer to Jesus, he gives you a brief word of comfort, but then he just stays where he's at for two days rather than coming to you? And this is the real question though, listener. This is the crucial question. What was Jesus doing during those two days? What was he doing 
during those two days? Was he just doing nothing? Keep going with me, and perhaps we will see the answer to that question. After the two days, Jesus says to his disciples, All right, let's go back to Judea. His disciples are worried, though, because they know that there are a lot of influential people in Jerusalem who want to have Jesus killed. But then Jesus tells them this strange little saying in verse 9 about how people who walk in the daytime don't trip up, but people who walk around at nighttime do trip up. What does that mean here? He's reminding them that he is the light of the world. Right In John 8 verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying here in John chapter 11, verse 9, that the only way they are going to know where to go is if they follow him. If you try to steer your course by your own understanding, by your own logic, you will trip up. They had good logic. People want to kill you. People want to kill you, Jesus, in Jerusalem. Now you're wanting to go towards Jerusalem. That's a bad start of an equation. Maybe we should reconsider going. But even when everything makes sense on paper, it is still our own efforts and therefore darkness. We can make sense of something on paper, but if we're not following Jesus, it's still walking in darkness. And Jesus explains, Lazarus is sleeping and I need to wake him up. The disciples don't get it. They're still relying on their own logic, their own understanding. They'll say, they say, well, let him sleep, Lord. He'll be all right. And so Jesus has to spell it out plainly. Lazarus is dead. We're going to him. And then we're introduced to this character, Thomas. He speaks up and says, let's go, guys. Even if we die with him, let's go and die with him. His understanding is still wrong. But right there, Thomas demonstrates something crucial faith. That's not much faith. He thinks that Jesus is probably wrong and is about to get them all killed, but he still has faith that he needs to trust Jesus, even when it makes zero sense. Jesus and the disciples finally make it to the town of Bethany, which was just two miles outside of Jerusalem and was where Mary and Martha and Lazarus were from. But by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has already been dead and in the tomb for four days. When was the last time you said, if only? If only. If only he hadn't stepped in front of that car. If only I had worked a bit harder and not failed the exam. If only she would have stayed home instead of trying to drive on the icy roads. If only I'd gotten one more chance. If only, and insert your if only here. The problem is, our if onlys only make us feel sick. Because no matter how much we may wish to turn back the clock and change things, we can't. Martha is feeling a deep if only. Verse 12, she says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She knows that it shouldn't have taken Jesus four days to get there. What was keeping him? If only he had gotten there sooner. Jesus looks at her and says, your brother will rise again. 
That sounds like the phrase that we tell each other when someone passes away. We say, oh, well, they're in a better place. They're in a better place. They're happy now. It sounds nice, but it doesn't change the pain felt by the sudden loss of a loved one. Martha responds by saying, yes, I know, he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, for Martha, and for many of the Jewish people in the first century, the resurrection was something that would happen on the last day, when people would be raised from the dead to live in God's new world. But do you see, for Martha, the resurrection is something far off. The last day. The resurrection is something she can't see or touch. More than anything, it is just something to give her a little bit of hope. But then Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is once again, with his words, answering our question of who is Jesus. And today he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? According to Jesus, resurrection isn't just a distant future event. Resurrection isn't just a doctrine to believe in or theorize about. Resurrection is a person. And here he is, standing right in front of Martha. And he is asking her to make a huge jump of faith, trust, and hope. She says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. He is challenging her, urging her to exchange her if only for an if Jesus. It's no longer if only. Now it's if Jesus. If Jesus is who he says he is, and who Martha is beginning to believe he is, if Jesus is the Messiah, the one promised by the prophets, the one who was to come into the world, if Jesus is God's own son, if Jesus really is the resurrection, if Jesus really is the life, if Jesus really is who Martha says he is, then she must have faith. If Jesus really is who he says he is, then we must have faith. Most of us are aware of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 10 shows us a story uh, which portrays Martha as the busybody and Mary as the calm, quieter one. We see it in this story as well. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was in town, she ran to him to confront him directly. You're late. And I can't wait any longer. Many of us are like that. We feel impatient with God, feeling like we've waited long enough. And if, if you're like that, that's okay. Jesus doesn't condemn her. Run to Jesus. Confront Jesus. Bring all of your if-onlys with you. Tell him the problem. Ask him, why didn't you come sooner? And why have you allowed this awful thing to happen? And then be prepared for a surprising response. Jesus responded to Martha by reintroducing himself to her in a way that she was not expecting. He says, Martha, I'm the resurrection. You see, Martha was wanting healing. 
She was wanting resurrection, wanting her brother back, but it seemed so far off. And how does Jesus reintroduce himself to her? He doesn't say, I'm in charge here. I'm the king. Just trust in me. You just have to go with whatever I say. No, he says, hi, I'm the resurrection. I am everything your heart is desperate for right now. The question is, Martha, do you believe? It is going to take faith, even when it makes no sense on paper. Jesus is the light, and we won't stumble in the light. Verse 28, we see that Jesus is wanting to see Martha's sister Mary. And as soon as Mary realizes that Jesus is calling for her, it says she got up quickly and she went to Jesus. Mary is the calmer, more quiet, perhaps more shy sister. But her words to Jesus show that they are both carrying these heavy if-onlys. Mary sees Jesus and immediately falls at his feet. And she says, Lord, if only, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33 says that Jesus looked at Mary weeping, and he looked at the Jews who were with her, who were all weeping, and Jesus became deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. When it says that he was deeply moved, the word in the Greek there, it usually is used to refer to anger. Jesus has a deep anger in his spirit, and he is greatly troubled. Why? Is he mad at the people's lack of faith? No. Just look at his response. He doesn't say, oh, you have little faith. Instead, he looks at all of them weeping. And then he asks, where have you laid him? They say, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, we see Jesus, and he's unable to hold it anymore. Jesus wept. Jesus begins to weep. Not just a tear, not just glossy eyes. No, he's weeping. John began his gospel by telling us in chapter 1 that Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. The Word. Through the whole world was made through. The Word. God in the flesh weeps like a baby at the grave of his friend. Only when we stop and ponder this will we understand the full mystery of John's gospel. Only when we put away our constructed portraits of who God is and replace them with pictures in which God can cry with the world's tears will we begin to discover what the word God really means. Jesus bursts into tears with everyone else. Isaiah 53, 4, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus does not say, Suck it up. I'm here. I can fix it. No. He weeps. He cries like a baby. You are never alone in your tears. Jesus is the man of sorrows that Isaiah prophesied about, and he knows our grief, he knows our pain, and he shares our sufferings, and then he takes on our sufferings upon himself, and he cries with us and for us. Some in the crowd were moved by his tears, but others were confused. Why is he crying? Couldn't he have done something about this? He opened the eyes of the blind. Couldn't he have healed Lazarus before this happened? 
What we will eventually see in John's Gospel is that Jesus came not only to open the eyes of the blind and heal the sick, he came to die for the world. It is only through his death that the world can be saved. There is a straight line from the tears of Jesus in verse 35 to the death in which Jesus will share and bear not only the grief and pain of the world, but also the doom of the world. Then in verse 38, Jesus is deeply moved, deeply angry again. What is he angry at? He came to earth to defeat sin and death, and here he is standing at the tomb of his friend, staring death in the face. In a way that words won't capture, Jesus is angry at death, and he does not accept it. He says, take the stone away. Martha speaks up, and she's worried. It's been four days. It's going to smell terrible. It seems like a shallow concern, but she doesn't want the whole town grimacing at the smell of her late brother. Jesus replies to her by saying in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus then lifts up his eyes and prays to the Father, which we will look at in just a second. And then he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. But when he did it, he ordered that almost everyone leave the room and he strictly told them not to tell anyone what happened. But here, in John chapter 11, Jesus stands in front of a large crowd, and his reputation is on the line. Jesus just shouted at a tomb, What's going to happen? What happens? The dead man comes out. A moment of horror and joy mixed together. Lazarus was in there for four days. How has his body not begun to decompose? There is no smell. Look for it in the chapter. There's no smell. There's no foul odor. How was Jesus able to simply just walk up to the tomb and shout at it? This is where we must realize that there was much more happening than we see at first glance. You see, God is not surprised by our sufferings. God is not going around putting out unexpected fires. He knows. And he is intimately involved in every moment. But what does that involvement look like? Remember the question at the beginning? What was Jesus doing during those two days after he heard about Lazarus being sick? Was he just waiting around? No. What was Jesus doing during those two days? He was praying. And we can be confident about that. He was praying. Just look at the patterns of Jesus' life, and it's easy to see that Jesus was always going away to pray, but that's not why we can be sure that he was praying. Listen again to verse 41. They took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus thanks the Father for hearing him. But that was the first dialogue in this chapter that we have seen between Jesus and the Father. This is the first time we are seeing Jesus pray. And his only prayer is him thanking the Father for hearing him. 
This is where we realize that Jesus spent two days praying for this very moment. When it seemed like he was ignoring Mary and Martha's prayers, he was praying for them. Think about this. If Jesus felt it right to spend time praying and waiting, how much more should we, when we're faced with the trials of life, realize that it is right to spend time praying and waiting? But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to bring your if-onlys to Jesus. And let Jesus transform those if-onlys into if-Jesus. If Jesus is who he says he is, then before I ever brought my if-only to him, he was already praying for me. If Jesus truly is God in the flesh, then I can know that God weeps with me in my darkest of moments. If Jesus really is the resurrection, then he is calling your name, telling you to get out of the tomb, calling you to move on from the cobwebs and decay and follow him into new life and new light. The story of Lazarus isn't in the other Gospels, and some have suggested that the other Gospel writers were wanting to protect Lazarus from any unwanted and dangerous attention. But by the time John wrote his gospel, most of the disciples had already passed away, including Lazarus. Before we end, I want to listen to verse 34 one more time. Jesus said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. In John chapter 20, we see another scene with the tomb. We see once again this character, Mary sister of Lazarus and Martha, and Mary is weeping outside of a tomb. But this time it's not the tomb of her brother. She's not weeping at the feet of Jesus. No, she is weeping at the tomb of Jesus. She says in verse 13, I don't know where they have laid him. Do you see the parallel? In chapter 11, Jesus is weeping outside of the tomb. Chapter 20, Mary is weeping outside of Jesus' tomb. In chapter 11, Jesus asks, Where have you laid him? In chapter 20, Mary asks, or says, I don't know where they have laid him. And in chapter 11, Jesus calls out Lazarus' name to bring him out of the tomb. And here in chapter 20, you should go read it. In, in chapter 20, Jesus calls out the name of Mary. He says, Mary, and her, all of a sudden her eyes are open and she realizes that she is staring Jesus in the face. Jesus tells Martha in chapter 11, verse 40, that if, if she believes, she will see the glory of God. This is what the glory of God looks like. It's not a king crushing his servants. It's a God who prays deeply for his people, a God who cries like a baby with us, a God who heals us beyond what we could have ever asked for or hoped for. A God who calls you out by name to bring you out of the tomb and to open your eyes. A God who loves you. Jesus wasn't afraid to say that God so loved the world. But it's not just the world. It's each person. He loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loves you. So how do we respond? How can we read this and not respond? Well, we bring our if-onlys to Jesus, and we let him daily teach us who he is, 
and we follow Him, even when it makes no sense on paper. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be posting again next week. Be sure to check out the description for any scripture references. Youth Group Radio. Peace out. Save me. Save me from myself. Save me. Save me from myself. Save me. Save me from myself Save me Save me from myself And love me Save me from myself And